of the talks in this basic Christian maturity course and the subject is overcoming the work of evil spirits and I'm going to uh, follow fairly closely uh, the textbook we've got, the guidebook and I'm also going to try and stick fairly close to my notes so we don't go on till midnight uh, I'm going to start by reading, reading from Philippians chapter 2 verse 8 And being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, we've, the songs we've had about being Jesus Christ, being Lord, just fit in very well and very beautifully with the subject of tonight's talk. We always need to remember that Jesus is Lord, that the victory has been won, that there's no question whatsoever about who the victor is. It's Jesus. Jesus, through his death and resur resurrection, won the victory over Satan. And if you would like, the war, the mopping up operations are going on. The sort of, the enemy puts up resistances at times. You know, you can look at the world and you can see lots of tragedy and lots of suffering and lots of things which aren't of God and you can be tempted to feel, well, I mean, is Satan going to win this battle? No, we know that the final victory has been won and all that happens between now and the end, so to speak, is the working out of Jesus' victory. The working out, we're living in the time of the working out of the victory which has been won and there's no doubt as to the results. That being so, there's no need to have fear when we think of the devil and demonic things. You know, it, after all he is powerful, he can cause trouble and some people quite understandably feel fear, perhaps we all feel fear at times. But we needn't because we know that the final victory has been won, that Jesus is with us and he's Lord of every situation and uh, he's in control. Now I think when considering this question of uh, evil spirits and the devil, particularly this thing, it's most important that we stick in the tradition of the Catholic Church and by the, the teaching of the Catholic Church. Now there are many other Christians who would entirely agree with us. Many Anglicans, many Anglican priests have wonderful ministries in this field wonderful knowledge in this field. But there are some other Christians who are well to our left and there are others well to our right. And it's interesting, you know, because it's, you get the liberal Protestants well away on one side of us and some of the more evangelical Protestants on the other. And in a way, the Catholic position is more central because, as I say, it's not only the Catholic, <coughs> the Catholic position, <coughs> many Anglicans and others would agree. In fact, we have the joy of having with us tonight an Anglican priest who is very gifted in this field and knowledgeable in this field and I think he would be entirely in favour of the things I'm going to say. <coughs> now there are four attitudes which Christians can have towards the devil and demonic things. One, 
The devil doesn't exist. Demons don't exist. They demythologize the New Testament. They say that was just the way of expressing it in those days, but we shouldn't think in terms of a personal devil. Now that goes right against the official teaching of the Catholic Church and the obvious interpretation of Scripture. And indeed, Pope Paul VI and the present Pope have reminded us of you know, the importance of believing that there is, in fact, a personal devil and personal devils. For, for Roman Catholics, that is not an optional question, although, in fact, quite a number of Catholics do wobble on that belief. Then the second of the four positions, there are Christians who would say, yes, I agree that the devil exists, but then for all practical purposes they forget it. And they always attribute everything, every trouble, problem, difficulty to other means, other sources. They, say, oh, they will say, oh, it's because of psychological problems, economic problems, sociological problems, political problems. But they, in fact, having admitted the devil exists, uh, in, they in fact then just forget it. And they never see the work of the devil in anything which is happening. Now I think in both those positions the devil is pretty pleased because he's free to work unrecognized. And that he likes that, doesn't he? You know, he likes us to think he doesn't exist because then he can get on unrecognized. Now the third position is what I call one demonitis. That's the opposite extreme. Seeing devils everywhere, blaming everything on the devil. You know, if you knock a cup over, that was a demon. <laughs> if you've got a tummy ache, that's not because you ate too many cream cakes last night, it's because <laughs> the devil is here. And perhaps, you know, the first two which I mentioned, there are danger for some Catholics, two positions I mentioned, but I don't think they're danger for people in the charismatic renewal, Catholic charismatics. On the other hand, this, this one is a bit of a danger sometimes for Catholic charismatics. Perhaps before they didn't really believe in the devil, and now they over-believe in him. <laughs> uh, and they see his hand in everything too much. And we need to be reminded that, you see, as the last three talks have reminded us, we have other enemies, so to speak. I mean, there is the world, the flesh, and wrongdoing, which were the subject of the last three talks. And to blame everything immediately on the devil is a mistake, and giving him too much honor and too much credit. And another danger of demonitis is a sort of fascination with demonic things. Always wanting to talk about devils, think about devils, read about devils. Oh, did you hear this happened and that happened and this happened and that happened? And you know, there's something really unhealthy about that. Really unhealthy. You know, we should see to it that in our prayer groups and in our homes there's not too much talking about devils and demons and what happens about devils and demons. Not too much talking about it. It's unhealthy. We should concentrate on Jesus and the things of Jesus and there shouldn't be too much reference to the enemy and thinking about the enemy. And the fourth position is what I hope is a balanced attitude such as we find in this basic maturity guide. Now the next thing I want to say is this, we are all involved in spiritual warfare. And I want to read two passages of scripture which remind us of this. First of all, Ephesians chapter 6.
Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we are not contending against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So there you see, it talks about the wiles of the devil. Definitely not uh, just impersonal forces. And then in, Ephesians, in uh, the first letter of Peter, chapter 5, you know, there's this reading which we have in Compline, Be sober, be watchful, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering is required of your brotherhood throughout the world. So there we have the clear teaching of Scripture. And it's, you find that right down the tradition of the Church. Now, I'm a Benedictine, and the rule of St. Benedict was written about 1500 years ago, and St. Benedict clearly sees the life of a monk as involving spiritual warfare, spiritual combat. And that is the basic Catholic tradition down the centuries. Now, I think it can help us to understand this spiritual warfare if we think in terms of a long, thin wedge. You know, the, think of the demonic in terms of a long, thin wedge. At the thick end of the wedge, you have things like Satanism, possession, voodoo, and so on, the more serious things. And at the thin end of the wedge, you have the fiery darts of the evil one of which we're all the object from time to time. You know, we're all being attacked by the devil at times. It's simple, I shall read later, take up the shield of faith with which to quench all the flaming darts of the evil one. We're all attacked at times. We're all tempted by him. So you see, there's that long thin wedge. Now the great danger for many Catholics is this, that if they hear the word demonic or, or devil, they immediately think of the thick end of the wedge. But in fact, that is much rarer than the thin end of the wedge, which is the spiritual warfare we're all in, involved in regularly. You know, I would like to draw an analogy between, say, medical treatment and sickness in the same way. Think of a long, thin wedge. At the thick end of the wedge, you've got heart transplants. At the thin end of the wedge, you've got it when you take uh, a cough sweet for the beginnings of a sore throat. Now, you might say, you need medical attention, yes. But just to say someone needs medical attention, do you mean they need a new heart, a heart surgery, or do you mean they'd be wise to gargle for the beginnings of a sore throat? So, in this question, we're all being attacked by the devil at times, but it's normally much more at this thin end of the wedge. And so we mustn't start thinking, when you hear the word devils and demons, as if it's the case of you know, heart transplants, so to speak. It is the ruling of the Catholic Church, that where there are rarely serious cases of possession, these should be referred to the bishop, who himself will refer them to a, or an authorized priest. It's not within the ministry of an, uh, an ordinary priest, but only those who the bishop has specially nominated for it. So that is, you know, the rarely much more serious things like possession. But you see, that is much rarer than what we're all involved in regularly, and that is spiritual warfare against the flaming darts of the evil one.
Now, in this basic Christian maturity course, uh, they talk about, they divide bet the, between the obvious areas of Satan's work and the hidden. And it mentions four of the obvious areas of Satan's work. And I particularly want to talk now, and I should talk in this case about greater length, about the occult. The occult, what is the occult? Well that is things like Satanism, voodoo, or witchcraft, whether they call it white witchcraft or black witchcraft, I'm not saying that, w that one is much more serious than the other, it is. But all witchcraft is out and is of, is of, uh, is of the occult. Med transcendental meditation, you know now people who are going for transcendental meditation courses are being taught, so they say, to levitate. All spiritualism, Ouija boards, all spirit guides, all that is out for the Catholic. All divination of the future, tarot cards, palmistry, astrology, teacups, crystal gazing. All those things are forbidden by the Bible and by the teaching of the church. And those are areas of the occult which are dangerous. For those who would like to know the, the scripture references, Deuteronomy 18, 9, 14. Deuteronomy 18, 9, verses 9 to 14. And Leviticus chapter 19, verse 26. Uh, are, are passages in the Old Testament which very clearly forbid these things and there are other passages in the Bible. Now many Catholics do need to be reminded about the teaching of the Bible on the church on the occult. And it really is, I think, a great pity that there are so many Catholics who, you know, read their stars in astrology uh, or, uh, you know, go to ha have their palm read uh, or indeed organize a, a fortune-telling store at a church bazaar. Now this sort of thing is right out for Catholics and we need to tell Catholics of this, they need to be told. You know, I once wrote to a bishop asking in this country that Catholics could be informed again officially of the teaching of the church. And I hope that will come about before too long, I think we need it. The bishops would remind us, all Catholics, of the official teaching of the, of the church banning all involvement in the occult. And it can be useful if you come across a Catholic who is reading their stars or uh, looking into teacups or something of that kind, it could be good to remind them that you know, that sort of thing isn't right for a Christian. But do it tactfully, do it with discernment. I'm glad to say that a talk given in this hall some years ago did have a practical result. There was a garden fete in a parish in this diocese and uh, They'd always had a fortune-telling stall, they'd made a certain amount of money, and as a result of the talk given here, some of the parishioners, some were present, and they went up to the parish priest and said, do you think we ought to be doing this, Father? It seems to us wrong, and it was scrapped. And it was the parish priest himself who told me. So, uh, you know, it can be good to remind people of the official teaching of the church. But we must not exaggerate, we must not exaggerate, and I regret to say that some Catholics in the charismatic renew do exaggerate, and it's really important that we should try to avoid doing that. And I want to suggest two areas where we have to avoid, or two ways in which we have to avoid exaggeration. And the first thing I want to say is keep a sense of proportion. You know, having had your palm read once, perhaps 15 years ago, 
is not the same as deep involvement in spiritualism for years. Pinching an apple, which some of us will have done in our youth, is not the same as robbing the Bank of England of 10 million. Now, I'm not saying it's right to pinch apples. It's wrong. You shouldn't pinch an apple. But the gravity is quite different from, you know, your 10 millions from the Bank of England. And uh, keep a sense of proportion. There have been many people here, perhaps, who in the past had their palms read once or twice, went to a spiritualist meeting once, uh, got someone to gaze into a crystal, read their stars in the newspaper. Now, these things we shouldn't do. But don't get too alarmed because you had your palm read 30 years ago. It hasn't killed me. I had my palm read as a child. Uh, certainly, we should repent of these things when we become aware of it. Even if it was in the past. And it would be good to confess it. And it would be good to have a cleansing prayer, but don't get alarmed. Keep a sense of proportion. Just as you would about the stealing the apple or from the Bank of England. I don't want people to be, go away alarmed because just that's a trivial little thing happened many years ago. But nevertheless, we shouldn't compromise and we shouldn't have anything to do with it. We shouldn't even pinch one apple. Second point, do not exaggerate the limits of the occult. And I'm afraid this quite often happens. And I, I, we have to understand here that in this matter our position does differ from some other Christians in the charismatic renewal. And they're sometimes wonderful Christians wonderful disciples of Jesus, with beautiful healing ministries, uh, but we need to know where we agree and where we differ. You see, you might have, say, a Pentecostal Christian who's a wonderful evangelist, wonderful at healing, and we can learn from him perhaps in those fields, but if he said to me, you shouldn't ask Our Lady to pray for you, that's idolatry, I'd know that in that field I didn't follow him, wouldn't we? We'd all know that. We know that in some things God's working beautifully in him, but we know that when he tells us it's idolatry to ask Our Lady to pray for us, he's mistaken. We need to know our own position. In ecumenism, we need to, yes, collaborate with others, admire the good things, even learn from them in some good things, but know where it differs from our own Catholic tradition and stand firm by our Catholic tradition. And so this applies very much in this field of the limits of the occult. It is wrong to condemn as demonic, all jujitsu, all osteopathy, all hypnotism, all acupuncture, all yoga, all water divining, etc. To call all these things just to say, that's all demonic, that is wrong. Now I know wonderful people who would do that. And I can understand why they're doing that, but they're mistaken. We believe they're mistaken. And I just say, I'm not saying that none of these things can be dangerous. Some of these things can be dangerous, but you see, it's one thing to say something can be dangerous, and it's another to give a sort of total condemnation as demonic. Uh, now, many people have certainly been helped by osteopathy. There are people who've been healed through hypnotism. If you go to some London hospitals and you've got a bad heart, and you've had to have a major surgery, in many cases they may advise you to have it done by acupuncture. Some of these things can sometimes be good. And, all right, they can also be dangerous at other times. But what is wrong is this total condemnation is demonic. That's what we've got to avoid. Uh, take the question, for instance, of yoga. I was present when the Cardinal, giving a talk to Catholics on prayer, 
said that yoga, yoga breathing exercises could help people to pray. Now if he's going around saying that, and we're going around saying everything to do with yoga is totally demonic, we're on a head-on collision, aren't we? Now we're mistaken. I think some forms of yoga meditation can be very dangerous. I'm not giving a carte blanche to any of these things. I think hypnotism can sometimes be very dangerous. I would advise people to be very careful about going to hypnotism. On the whole, I wouldn't recommend it at all. But the church does sometimes permit hypnotism in certain cases. I know a Catholic doctor in the charismatic renewal who is specially trained in hypnotism and the Lord does sometimes use him to heal. And he's quite right in continuing that particular thing. He would be the first to admit there can be dangers. So, I'm not saying that there are no dangers in these things, but I'm saying we must discern and not have a sort of total condemnation. Same about water divining. I knew a missionary priest, I met a missionary priest who has this gift, and he's out in Africa, and he's sometimes been extremely helpful for, you know, finding water for the villages out there. Now the church has never condemned water divining. Let us not start condemning as demonic things the church has not condemned. And I want to say something which is a bit linked with that, and that is the question of non-Christian religions. It is wrong to condemn non-Christian religions as simply being demonic. That is not at all the attitude of the Catholic Church. And I want to read uh, a little from Vatican II on this matter. The, uh, last week's universe, in this Faith Alive series, has a very good section on this matter. I'd advise people to read it. And I'm going to read here a quotation from Vatican II. From the Vatican II's declaration on the relation of the Church to non-Christian religions. The Catholic Church re rejects nothing of what is true and holy in these religions. She has a high regard for the manner of life and conduct, the precepts and doctrines which, though differing in many ways from her own teaching, nevertheless often reflect a ray of truth which enlightens all men and women. Yet she proclaims and is, and is in duty bound to proclaim without fail Christ who is the way, the truth and the life. And that's important. The Catholic Church doesn't put the other religions, the non-Christian religions, on the same level as Christianity. No. We believe that no one is saved except through Jesus. But we believe that Jesus is saving some people who are, who are Buddhists and Hindus and Muslims and so on. Nobody is saved except through Jesus. But Jesus doesn't only save people who are baptized Christians. Jesus is at work among others. And thank God, and you see this talks about the truth and holiness which are found in some of these other religions. And you remember the Pope received in Assisi, invited to Assisi, members of other religions to pray with him for peace. Now, if you regard all other religions as totally of the, of the devil, that wouldn't make sense. But if you have entered into dialogue with them because you recognize that God is also at work in them, then that's a good thing to do. The Pope is not a heretic in this matter. Now I know that there are some Christians and wonderful Christians who are very unhappy with this, who don't understand it, who don't follow it. But it's important that we remain true to the Catholic position in this question. 
I'm not saying that the devil in no way is in no way active in other religions. For instance, I would personally not doubt at all that in some of this extreme Islamic aggressiveness, I'm sure the devil's at work in that. But again, what we're saying, I mean, God is also at work in Islam, and indeed there are many Muslims who are very unhappy about the aggressive wing of Islam. Now, exaggerating the limits of the occult and simply condemning non-Christian religions can cause much harm and can do a great deal to put other Catholics, particularly the clergy, off the charismatic renewal. You see, if, other, if Catholic clergy who know the teaching of the Church and recognize that the Holy Spirit is at work when something happens like the Pope asking other religions to come pray with him in the season, if they hear Catholic charismatics just saying it's all of the devil, they're going to think that we're not truly Catholic and that we're a lot of nutcases and dangerous. And that sort of thing will put... Now, we all here, we want to help spread the charismatic renewal in the Catholic Church because we believe that we've received great blessings for it. But if we exaggerate in that way, we're going to do unnecessarily put other people right off. Now that's enough on the occult. Now I want to talk now about other obvious areas of Satan's work. One is the bizarre, people behaving in bizarre ways. This can be demonic. It can also be psychological. It can also be the work of drugs or alcohol. It's very important in these things that we try to discern, but again, we don't say all that sort of thing is demonic. No. It may be psychological, it may be alcohol or drugs. But nevertheless, people with bizarre behaviour in some ways, it could be demonic, or partly demonic. The next area is irrational feelings. These can be demonic. It might be neurotic fears, it might be destructive impulses, like violence on other people or suicide. Again, can be demonic not always demonic. Again, we have to try to discern. And then there are also various hidden areas of Satan's work. Temptations can be demonic. You know, take up the shield of faith with which to quench all the flaming darts of the evil one. When we have a temptation which is particularly difficult, particularly lasting, particularly difficult to get rid of, especially when there's not much of an objective cause, Maybe then it's not just the weakness of the flesh, weakness of our sinfulness, but there are some flaming darts adding to that difficulty. It can be, addictions can be uh, demonic. Alcoholism, drugs, smoking, compulsive eating, or sexual disorder like homosexuality. There can be a demonic element in these things. I'm not saying this is always the cause. I'm saying it can be. Again, we have to try to discern. Emotional problems. Satan often complicates psychological and emotional disorders. For example, depression and anger. Now these may be primarily psychological, or they may be primarily demonic, but often they can be a mixture of the two. We, again, we have to try and discern. 
physical illness. Jesus healed the epileptic boy through deliverance. The demonic can play a part in physical illness, but please don't start by regarding all illnesses as demonic. Next time you have begin to have a sore throat, don't say, ah, I'm being attacked by demons. You've probably uh, been in the tube and just caught out an infection. So again, not to exaggerate, but just to be aware that there can be influences of that kind. Another area is that of spiritual problems. Phariseeism, spiritual pride, spiritual harshness, spiritual laxism, can all have a partly or mainly demonic cause. Not always, but sometimes. Another area in which we can be under demonic attack is fear of doing God's work. For example, unnatural fears before going forward to the baptism of the Spirit, or unnatural exaggerated fears before being called to do work for God. Supposing in your parish you're asked to be an, an extraordinary minister of communion, and that might be God asking you, and then you might get really panicky about it before the first time, that could be, there could be, could be, I don't say always is, a demonic element trying to put you off doing God's work. In all these areas, Christians should not oversimplify or over-spiritualize the importance of personal problems. Not attribute everything to Satan, but not ignore his part in our troubles. That's it. Not put the whole thing on him, not see him as the principal cause or the main cause or the real cause of everything. On the other hand, not ignore the fact that he can often be at work. Now, when we think of the work of the demonic too, we just shouldn't think only of individuals. The devil also works on groups. For instance, families, marriages. Sometimes it's not just an individual who's being attacked, but a whole family on a marriage situation. Demonic. There can be difficulties in a prayer group, which are not just human but who are being fostered by outside forces. Same applies to a religious community. You know, that's true for the divided state of Christendom. Jesus wanted all his disciples to be one. The fact that we're divided into many churches, the devil is certainly involved in that, and involved in working against unity anywhere and everywhere. The devil is working at the national level. He can be working in strikes, disorders, He's working in international relationships, wars, question of armaments, at work in Nazism, communism, capitalism, materialism, hedonism, pornography, the world of drugs. The devil is at work, you know, not just on individuals, but in sort of whole groups, and we need to be aware of this. Christian spiritual warfare is not just a matter for the individual on his own, it's a matter of the community and indeed the whole Christian community needs to be fighting against the enemy. Now what is the solution to these demonic attacks, spiritual warfare? The first point I want to make is one of discernment. Try to discern, and with the aid of other people sometimes, how far the cause is just human and how far there may be a demonic element, direct demonic element in it. And the second point is, 
to put on the armour of God. And I'm going to read here from Ephesians chapter 6. Therefore take the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the equipment of the gospel of peace. Above all taking the shield of faith with which you can quench all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God Pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So we're going to go through these various, these various pieces of protection in the, the armour of God. Truth. Stand therefore having girded your loins with truth. Against the father of lies, the devil is the father of lies. You know, he can, in many ways, he can sort of attack us there. He can make us suspicious of other people. You know, we've all been attacked in that way. You and I have all at times had rare suspicions of people, and later we found it's totally groundless. Yes? And sometimes that can be the devil just trying to stir things up and turn us against people. It can be doubting a basic Christian truth. Might be doubting whether the devil exists for some people. We might be attacked too into thinking we're no good. I'm no good. I'm a sinner. Jesus doesn't love me. I can't be forgiven. I'm hopeless. I've had it. We can all feel a bit discouraged like that occasionally. Something in that sort of direction. Again, that can be the, the enemy, the father of lies, and we need to stand there for having girded your loins with truth. Righteousness, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Living righteously, obeying God's commandments. Sin can let the enemy in. Obviously, we've got to do our best to try and live righteously, although, of course, we all fail at times. Faith. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you can quench all the flaming darts of the evil one. I think an important aspect of the faith is trusting in Jesus, not ourselves in spiritual warfare. We're not expected to overcome the attacks of the enemy or our own sinfulness in our own strength, but through the grace and presence and help of Jesus. So, we need to trust in Jesus and not in our own strength and to know that he'll always be there and that he'll always see us through. God's Word. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You know, reading Scripture can be a great help. It can keep the truth of the Gospel before us, can't it? We can't really expect our Christian lives to be all that flourishing if we don't make, take, make use of that wonderful gift of, of the Scripture which God has given us. And I would hope that people would normally find time daily to read prayer through the Bible. That can help, that can be a protection. That's part of the armour of God. And then prayer. Prayer at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. 
the importance of giving enough time to prayer. You know, if we don't bother to give enough time to prayer each day, we can't expect to be protected from the attacks of the enemy. But as we give ourselves to prayer and seriously to prayer, that is a great protection, a great help. And of course that applies too to the sacraments, to go to Mass, try to go to Mass frequently, to go to confession. The sacraments are great forces of spiritual growth and as such real protection against the enemy. And sacramentals are not to be ignored. Holy water. It can be a good thing to have a bottle of holy water at home. It can be a good thing to sprinkle holy water on yourself or someone else or in the room when it seems appropriate. Don't be superstitious about it. But I think it's a good thing, something the church gives us. Everybody can go to your, you can all go to your parish priest and ask for a bottle of holy water. And some people might use blessed salt. That's less commonly used and in fact there's normally blessed salt in holy water. The sign of the cross is a protection. In a, in a situation which feels a bit dicey, where you're under temptation, where you're worried about what's happening, where you, if you're in a place where you feel the devil's had a bit of a presence, the sign of the cross. That's a good thing to do. And of course, various prayers of protection. You know, the Our Father is a prayer of protection. But deliver us from evil, or the evil one. And the early Christians understood that particularly as the evil one. So when we say the Our Father at the beginning of the day, as I hope we all do, that is also a prayer of protection. Then there was the prayer which we used to say after Mass always, the Holy Michael Archangel, wasn't there? Well, many people like to say that. That's a good prayer of protection. Or any other prayer of protection which comes to you. Now, some people use this one, Jesus, through your precious blood, protect me from all harm, all evil, all attacks of the enemy, today, at times of special difficulty or danger, and forevermore. Or to put on the armour of God. Now, when I say put on the armour of God, there are no sort of absolutely fixed prayers. And everybody can adapt the prayers for themselves a bit, but I'll just go through the prayers. It might be helpful if you saw this. I don't say you've always got to do this. But some people find it helpful to do it at the beginning of each day, and before any situation which might seem dicey. Jesus, I place on my head the helmet of salvation as a protection against all thinking, seeing, hearing, which is not of you. Jesus, I place on my chest the breastplate of righteousness as a protection against all unrighteous thoughts. Then you might add anything else you feel caught in, like all harm to the body or sickness in the body. Jesus, I place round my waist the girdle of truth that I may be truthful at every level of my being. And then you might add particularly this level or that level. Jesus, I place on my feet the sandals of the gospel of peace that I may be the messenger of your good news to others. Jesus, I take in my left hand the shield of faith with which to quench all the flaming darts of the evil one. Jesus, I take in my right hand the sword of the Spirit with which to attack the strongholds of the enemy. Notice two of them are not just defensive but outgoing. You know, to be placed one about basically on your feet, the, God, the sandals of the gospel of peace, to be the messenger of God to others, and then the other to take the, the sword of the Spirit in the right hand to attack the strongholds of the enemy. Those are both outgoing. 
And the last point I want to make, which I think is very important, is praise. The importance of praise. You know, thank God the early part of this meeting laid so much stress on praise. You know, when we're praising Jesus, when we're praising the Heavenly Father, that is a wonderful protection against the enemy. Perhaps it's the best protection in some ways. You know, in a way the enemy can't get in when there's a lot of praise going about. He doesn't like it. And you see, the Christian life, the Christian prayer life, it shouldn't be a sort of one which is concentrating on defence against the enemy. It should be one which is concentrating on praising God and, and Jesus and the Spirit. And when we do that, that works a wonderful protection for us. You know, coming here tonight, knowing I was going to give this talk, I really felt moved by God to do a lot of praising God and praising Jesus in the tomb. I felt that was the right thing to do. And sometimes if I go into a, a house where there's been some sort of demonic difficulties or trials or something like that, or the atmosphere feels heavy in that sort of way, I feel now the important thing we've got to do now is praise Jesus. Sing his praises. Praise the Heavenly Father. That's the most wonderful way. There's nothing more important. You see, in the Christian life, we've got to concentrate. I say, our mind's got to be set on the Heavenly Father and on Jesus and on praising them. That's what we've got to concentrate on. That's the great protection. That is the great protection. If we're not doing that, we're going to get into trouble with the enemy. But if we're really giving ourselves to praise and thanksgiving, that's basically going to be the biggest way of seeing us through. There are times when it's right to say a specific prayer of protection. There are times when it's right to turn our attention especially to him, but not keep him on him, keep our attention on him, but to get back to praising God and Jesus. That is the great way forward to the Christian life, isn't it? So you see, if you're worried about these things in your own life or other people, do remember that nothing is more important than being a man or woman of praise. And when you're in situations which you feel the enemy is attacking, make sure you're really giving yourself to praising him, thanking, adoring. Right? That's the basic perspective. And that's why, you know, we need to be wise and upset. Because we can all do that. We can all give ourselves to praise and thanksgiving, can't we? And that's really going to clear the spiritual air for us. So praise his holy name. Could we have a song of praise?